If you are a key employee, if you own a business, if you're an entrepreneur, you have some level of self-belief. And that self-belief has right. gotten you the position that you're in. And that self-belief can also be limiting in the fact that we always think that it's going to work. And the reality is it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. And there's things that happen in life that can be completely outside of your control that can completely derail the train. There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige, titles, work travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters, family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time, and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started. All right, guys, super excited to be back. We have Jacob Turner today. Jacob is pretty well known on SMB Twitter or SMBX, among other places. For those of you who don't know Jacob, he had a prior career, though he's a wealth manager now, he had a prior career in Major League Baseball. And so we're gonna we're gonna dig into all that and you know kind of let you tell that story, Jacob. But super excited to have you. Thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, guys, I'm excited to be here. Been following the podcast since you guys launched it. And obviously I think it's exciting what you guys are doing just in the content game in general. Yeah, thanks, Jacob. So first question for you. One of the most interesting things to me about professional athletes, obviously we've all heard the anecdotes about the guy who signs the massive blockbuster contract and then within a decade he's broke because he's, you know, he's living a lavish lifestyle. But I don't think we talk enough about the average professional athlete and their experience going from, you know, leaving college oftentimes early or not going to college at all transitioning to the pros, doing what I would describe as probably best case scenario for 99% of pro athletes, save for guys that are going to make the Hall of Fame, which is have a decent career where you're kind of a journeyman, you play for a couple of different teams, you make a you know, really good amount of money compared to the average person. But we're not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. We're talking about teens to double digit million dollars. And then your career is over and you're 25, 27, 30 years old and you got to transition back to Main Street and go find a job. And you oftentimes got to finish up that college degree. And all of a sudden you go from bringing in large amounts of money to going, shoot, I've got, I'm going to live, provide for a family for another 40, 50 years. What do I do? Talk about that transition and what the average person doesn't understand about what it means to really be a major league baseball player, a pro athlete, and kind of go through that experience. I think the best way that I would describe it, Eric, is if you think about whatever position you're in, if you're listening and you own a business, you work in a business, think about whatever business that is, and then think about it that was all taken away, whatever you've known. So if you are a landscaper and you own the landscaping company and somebody comes to you and says, hey, but in a year, you're not going to own this landscaping company and you can do anything else, but it can't have anything to do with landscaping. Now, for some business owners, for some entrepreneurs, they might say, like, great, I have other skills I want to use or things I learned along the way. But somebody described it to me really well recently. They said, when the jaws of life are staring you in the face, things get real. And it's very easy for an athlete to be talking about at the end of their career. When I transition, I want to do this. You know, I have this interest. I met with this person. But then when the when life hits you and you really see that thing is over and the phone is not ringing off the hook, 
you know, you might have been a professional athlete, but when you're a professional athlete, your network is here. And then as you slowly start to fade out of the game, your network is going like this because there's people in that network that were only in that network because they could get tickets from you or they could get yeah. access. So it's a harsh reality and it's extremely humbling. And I think that's the biggest thing that people miss is it's very, very humbling. It sounds like a non-compete, Kevin, right? Kind of like the seller sell business. And <laughs> they've true. got, you know what I'm saying? What, what do you describe? I mean, sounds like a non-compete, which is, you know, very common in the business world. But go ahead, Kevin. Well, I, I was just going to ask to to take a step back and contextualize that a little bit. And I'm I'm speaking purely from from ignorance here. Is there a difference in the professional athlete world from just kind of the world at large at at the frequency at which that career shift happens out of the blue versus planned. And what I mean is like your, your average entrepreneur or whatever, right? There's some percentage where something catastrophic is going to happen, a car accident or something like that, that's going to lead to a, a, an, an unexpected an yeah. rapid end of a, end of a career with professional athletic athletics. Obviously we, we know the heartbreaking stories of kind of the, the career ending injuries that happen on a whim that were never expect expected. Does that happen with greater frequency or is there, is it a pretty good corollary in terms of the amount of professional athletes who kind of see through the runway and at least have some visibility for when they're kind of ramping off professional athletics and whether they do or don't at least have the opportunity to kind of start planning for that transition. Does it, does it come more abruptly um, at a, at a higher rate or, I don't know if the frequency happens any higher, but the way that I would describe it, Kevin, is the amount of people that are working in a job right now that they don't like is relatively high. And yeah. They go there because they have to earn an income. The difference between that person and the professional athlete is that the professional athlete is getting thrust into this new thing. They don't get to decide like, oh, well, I, I have to go do something new or I want to go do something new. It's like, no, no, you're being forced. You literally yeah. can go anywhere but continue to do this. Versus if you think about somebody that takes that next leap, you know, into entrepreneurship or they start a business or they start a new job, they've thought about it. They're like, I don't really like what I'm doing right now. And I know I kind of have to transition, but I can also just stay here for the next 20 years. An athlete, it's like they can see down the pipe that this is going to end. But at some point, somebody's telling them that this is over. Yeah. Well, there's got to be there's got to be exceptions to the to that, though. Right. There's got to be athletes that say and we've seen this from time to time where, where the high profile guys and maybe. It's a little different when you're a high pro profile guy like Kelvin Johnson, right? Who retires early, you know, has made, you know, hundreds of millions probably. But there's got to be guys that say, hey, you know what? Like, th this isn't going to work out. So let me start being thoughtful about this a few years in advance and, and not necessarily get pushed out the door. How often do you see guys that actually have that foresight to handle it well? Super. I mean, it's, it does not happen often. Let's put it that yeah. way. And I'll, I'll even use myself as an example. Like, I, my career was super up and down. So I got to the big leagues at 20 years old. If you look at guys that get to the big leagues at that age, especially when I got there in 2011, these are guys that had extremely long careers. So the chances of me having this really long career were really high, but the ups and downs were so real that five years in, I knew, okay, at some point, baseball's probably going to end. It was one of the bigger blessings that I had, honestly, was just understanding that this reality of professional sports really is not reality. At some point, the jaws of life are going to be staring you in the face. When I got towards the end of my career in 2019, I can remember I, my last year I played in South Korea. I was able to earn good money. I was able to play every day. I was still enjoying the game, 
But I also realized that if I wanted to keep playing, the next opportunity I was going to get was probably going to be something that I didn't want to totally pursue in professional sports. It was going to be the minor league opportunity that if I played really well, maybe I got a few games in the big leagues. Now, could I have kept doing that? Sure. I could probably still be playing if I did that, where I would you know, play a few years in the minor leagues, maybe get one or two days where I get you know the big league experience. I make a little bit of money. But I just realized, like, I think it's time for me to start something else. But I think that starts from the beginning. That starts with how you're raised. I mean, I was raised as athletics was something that we did, but it was never the identity that we had. My parents never ingrained in us that I was going to be some professional baseball player. Just, yeah, yeah, they worked out like that. I was really blessed. I'm super thankful for that. But I'm also really thankful that I saw the real world, so to speak. That was that Midwestern St. Louis assuming that St. Louis is in the Midwest, which is an open debate that I like to have with people that makes them mad, but yeah, the Midwestern values, do you think there's enough support for these guys, Jacob? Cause I don't think, I really don't think that the average person realizes how challenging a professional career is from that perspective. And that, that off ramp into back into being a normie, like the rest of us, like, are there like services and agents and do the leagues do enough to support these guys? The short answer is no, in my opinion. The challenge is this. So you have a professional athlete and they get done playing. And whether you are somebody like me who was on the fringes of being a professional athlete, I was not the superstar player unless you were either a really big Detroit Tigers fan when I got drafted or you watched the Marlins, you know, religiously. You don't probably know who I am. Yeah, when you get done playing, there's like this level of like, a, a quote unquote normal person to use your line doesn't want to reach out to a professional athlete because they think, well, that guy probably has so many opportunities. Yeah. He's not going to want to come work for me. And then the professional athlete sitting over there going, well, nobody's calling me. I don't know what skills I have that really translate to what's next. I know I have some skills, but how does that work in the quote unquote real world? Who should I reach out to? And if I, if I reach out to somebody, then is it like, you know, am I putting myself below where I should? Yeah. Giving up too much power. It's just process. a weird, it's yeah. a weird concept and it's a weird construct. And I think it goes back to the concept that I talked about at the beginning that you just, you have to humble yourself. I, I yeah. sat in the classroom with 18 and 19 year old kids when I was finishing my degree and we went through orientation and I called my wife afterwards at the time I was still playing and I'm like, I'm a professional baseball player, but I just sat through orientation and had a 19 year old walk me around this college campus, even though I was going to be doing it online. I was like, I've never been so humbled in the last five years. And I had some really bad baseball performances. It's easy to lose track of and forget, right? I mean, to your point earlier, there's a lot of people surrounding you at the height of a professional athletics career, I assume, because they're trying to be close or ride the fame. And as soon as that starts to fade, those people go away. So from the outside, it's easy to assume like, oh, I mean, Jacob's like got to be one of the best connected people in the world. But by the time you're transitioning out of a career, so much of that is gone. It's hard to figure out that, that safety net. And you, you appear to have done that well in your transition to entrepreneurship, which, which we'll get to in a second. Um, cause we want to talk a lot about, you know, what you're doing now and, and how you did that transition, but walk back to the beginning for a second. Cause we sort of glossed over your career and how you went into the big leagues and stuff like that. But help us understand, like, what is it that helped you be able to have that framework as you work through 
you know, baseball and a professional athletics career to kind of have the foresight. You talked about it starting with your upbringing. So what did that look like? What, walk us through kind of what things looked like. You said you never planned to be a professional athlete. Like when did that flip switch? Like, oh my gosh, I can, maybe I can actually go do this and get played, paid, paid for baseball. And how, how did that transition through, through your upbringing while still being able to give you that framework of, of knowing and having the foresight to know I got to be forward thinking and plan for the next phase too. Well, one thing that gets talked a little bit about on, on social media, and I, I know Eric, you've been a, a big proponent of this, is being present in your kids' lives. I have four mm -hmm. kids. Yeah. The biggest blessing that I had was that my parents were present in my life. Not everybody gets that opportunity for a multitude of different reasons. There can be work things that go, go on. There can be relationship issues. I had a great family situation. So I don't want to discount that. Like that was the number one thing for me, Kevin, when I think about how did I have the understanding that there was life outside of sports? That was how I had it. I mean, just from watching what my parents did. I watched my parents work hard their whole lives. I watched my parents do really normal things and never act like that they were better than anybody else. And that translated to us. You know, I have two brothers and I feel like we all grew up seeing that. And that's what I want my kids to see. I want my kids to see the value of hard work. I want them to see that to a certain extent, like life is not always fair. You are not going to win every single time. You're going to have to keep showing up whenever you fail. And you're not better than anybody else. I think having those values instilled in me at a really young age and really seeing them from my parents was the biggest blessing that I had because I really transitioned to, you know, I got to the big leagues and, you know, I will say there was an 18 month period where I felt like I was the coolest person on the face of the earth. <laughs> I was in the big leagues at 20 years old. We had just won the American League Central. I, w I wasn't even playing. I wasn't even, I didn't contribute to this team at all, but I was there. I celebrated. It was awesome. And then it was really humbling for the next 10 years. So I would say though that from the start, just having my parents in my life, it meant a lot. You just summed up the beginning of Eric's legal career when I first met him, when he arrived at this big law, law firm and thought he was the shit, but really didn't kind of contribute to the team. No, I'm, I'm totally, Well, you know, I'm it's totally funny. Kidding. So, no, I mean, that seems pretty fair, but you know, Jacob, he landed at the, if the Tiger, if I remember correctly, that was when the Tigers had Verlander and Maglio Ordonez and they won. And I actually, fun fact. I was in college. I was actually vending beer at Comerica Park when you guys won the ALCS and then played the Cardinals in the, in the World Series. So if that's the team you were on, you and I were actually in the same ballpark. Very different positions in said ballpark, but uh, a little bit of a fun anecdote there. Also, I, I'll say, Kevin, I don't know if I've told you this story or not, but I went and played golf two or three months ago with Jacob and his brothers. They, came, they were down here for a big family trip. So I can attest that the Turner family was pretty cool. We went out. First of all, Jacob, I, I got a bone to pick with him about it because I told him I'm not very good at golf. He's like, it's no problem. I get out there and these guys are like unbelievable. I mean, un they're, they're driving at 300. They're all incredible athletes. They're competitive with each other, too. So they're like just playing lights out. And I, you know, I'm hitting houses and stuff. And but we got to like it was like the 17th hole, if I remember correctly, Jacob. And you got and your family had rented that the house on the 17th. And all the kids came out to the pool and the parents were there and you sunk like a chip from like 30 yards out and all the kids were watching. They were going wild for dad. It was like a pretty cool moment. So this guy does have an awesome family. He's not just, he's not just uh, blowing smoke here. It's pretty, pretty fun to see that in person. But well, I think, I mean, but, you know, this whole podcast and the vision that you guys have had with 
SMB law and, and who you guys help in entrepreneurship. One of the really cool things and one of the things that I think everybody's inherently striving for is freedom of their time. Now, how you use that yep. freedom of your time is totally up to you. But I think there's a lot of people in the SMB community in general that have really taken it upon themselves to build something of a better life for themselves and their family, but also be present. Whereas, you know, I think I have seen a lot of people, and this is a, a broad generalization, so it's not true for everybody, but there's a lot of people that are in really high paying jobs in the corporate world that have no freedom of their time, that cannot spend time with their family, that don't have that relationship. And look, at the end of the day, nobody's going to care how much money you made. Your kids are not going to care. Like, I'm sorry. They're not going to care what kind of car you bought them at 16. They're going to care that you were there. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things that entrepreneurship can give you if you focus on that as like, that is what I want to use my freedom, my time for. Now, yeah, for time control, for sure. It's something that we talk about a ton. Go ahead, Kev. Well, yeah, I was going to say, because that's a that's a perfect segue, because I, I agree wholeheartedly, and, and I think it it makes sense to to maybe start transitioning our conversation. So you've had this career in professional baseball and, and you know, you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I got to do something else. So w walk us through that transition out of professional athletics into what you're doing now and sort of the genesis of building what you're building and, and path to entrepreneurship there. Yeah, you know, it wasn't as clean as it feels like it is now. When I was first starting it, it felt like I, I had a lot of potential opportunities. None of them were super yeah. great in my mind. One thing I did just from the very beginning was I just reached out to a bunch of different people and I was like, I want to interview you and I want to hear what you are doing. And I want to hear if you could go back and do it all over again, would you do it again? Because at the time I really wanted to do investment banking. So you guys are in the M&A world. Okay. I, I love understanding how the world works, how people make money, how businesses are valued. So I'm like, man, investment banking, I always hear like, this would be a great thing. Then I learned how many hours I would have to work in order to just get over the hump. And I was like, I don't think that's what I want to do. But one thing I did do, Kevin, that honestly was the best thing I ever did was I reached out to an individual that I had a lot of respect for that was in the financial services business they owned, but was called a multifamily office. So they work yeah. with multiple families that are kind of coordinating and managing their entire financial picture. I know this individual for quite a while and they didn't really have a role for me. I said, look, I'll come and I'll work for free. You don't need to really pay me anything. I just want to come and understand this business because as I'm finishing up some of the other things degree wise, I really need to understand if this is something that I want to be in full time. That to me was the best six months of experience that I could ever get. Even though some of the time I was there, I was absolutely miserable just because I, I realized I'm not a good employee and there's a whole, a whole another side of that, but it was so humbling, but also so great for me to learn just the ins and outs of the quote unquote real world. I'd never been in that setting. I'd only been sure. in the locker room. So, uh, prioritizing skills and learning over income was huge. I want to hear more about the the comment you just made about not you know finding out you're not a great employee. But, but before we go there, I, I'm I'm just curious for you know our our listeners who may be hearing that and thinking like, well, yeah, that that sounds great, but I'm not a former major league pitcher to be able to have that kind of cachet picking up the phone to a large multifamily office and be like, hey, can I come shadow you? Like how? How, how much of that was just kind of personal relationship or, or what would you say to someone in that position listening to this and say, no, this, this wasn't baseball. I wasn't trading on major league here. Like here, here's how anyone can go do this and get that type of mentorship. Like what, what are your thoughts to those people? 
Yeah, so somebody posted about this on Twitter, so I don't want to take their idea without credit, but I don't know who it was. And they posted about this this concept that, that traditional networking is dead. And I thought the way that they articulated it was really well because it was something that I've always thought for a long time and I've never really been able to articulate it the way they did. And what they said was that traditional networking in the sense that, Kevin, I reach out to you and I say, hey, let's go get together. And you're like, I don't know this Jacob guy. Am I going to get benefit from having 45-minute coffee with him? Yeah. Now, where networking really comes into play is you see that Jacob reached out to you and maybe there's some intrinsic benefit to getting to know Jacob because there's value and skills that he's able to provide maybe at some point down the road to you, your business, your family, relationships, whatever it may be. That's where networking is. And when I think about, we all have those abilities. We all have those skills that we've learned over time. So whether you're a major league baseball player like I was, where, yeah, maybe there was some intrinsic benefit that they saw in me, like, okay, we'll give this guy this opportunity because maybe this will benefit us potentially down the road. Everybody has those benefits, those skills. There's something in your life, some unique thing that is unique to you that you can use and you can lean into to help build that network of people. Because if you remember, when I got done playing baseball, it's not like my network went from here to here. My network went from here to here. Right. Because there was a lot of people that just wanted me from Jacob, the baseball player. Now that I wasn't that anymore, Okay, like what what value can I provide you and what skills can I provide you? Which leads to a whole nother conversation about posting online and, and showing your skills. So Jacob, let's round this part out and let's call this this segment of the discussion, you know, the transition out of baseball. And then I want to hear about what you guys are doing at moment and what you're building at your, your firm, because I think it's really impressive. But give us the playbook. If I am leaving Major League Baseball or any sport and I'm, you know, five to seven years into a career and I see the writing on the wall, concretely, what am I doing to make sure that my transition is successful? If I could go back and do it all over again, I would use the platform that I had to start building out the network before I ever got done. And it wouldn't be the network that had anything to do with sports. It would be the network that was outside of sports in the real world. I think there's two ways to do that. One, you could just reach out to people. People will take the meeting with you because you're a current professional athlete. You know, you're one of the coolest people in the room just because you're a current professional athlete. You're in that city for a couple of days. Somebody reaches out to you. You're like, hey, can we get coffee? I'll leave you tickets for the game. Just want to hear about what you're doing. The other way to do it is, you guys both do this. You post online, post on social media. Now, the benefit you have as a professional athlete is you can pretty much post anything when you're a current professional athlete, and you can get a lot more reach than the average person. So you are building these systems that are going to have these long tailwinds whenever you get done playing. Because the reality is most athletes don't know what they want to do. Most people, when they're 30 to 40 years old, don't know what they want to do with their life. They're still figuring out. Everybody's still, yeah, everybody's still figuring out. So the reality is you're you're probably not going to say, oh, man, there's this one thing that I have just so much passion around and I can't yeah. wait to do that when I'm done. So you're networking. And just to, to drill down on that a little bit, Jacob, so you're saying use your clout at the time to build the network. I am, you know, I'm, I'm you at 27. What What is the, the message that I'm sending on social media or the message that I'm sending to somebody that I want to network with? What is it saying? What am I asking of them? What am I trying to accomplish? I think first and foremost, you're documenting your journey. So you don't have to be sharing any skills or expertise outside of what you're already doing. So you're just simply documenting your journey as a professional athlete. That brings people into your ecosystem. I think the next step is, I can't tell you how many successful people I've reached out to that are at what I call the helping stage. They've already been so successful and they're like, you know, I I would love to be able to help the next person. 
But frankly, there's a lot of people that nobody's ever asked them, can you kind of hear your story? Now, I know us posting things on social media and, and things online, there's a lot of people that, that reach out to you now all the time, Eric and Kevin, and say like, oh, can you give me advice on how I should start my, my boutique golf practice? But the reality is there's a bunch of people in St. Louis, Missouri that have never posted one thing on social media that have done amazing things. I would love nothing more than to go get coffee and share all the things that they've built over the last 30 years. Because this guy who's saying, like, I'm trying to humble myself. I know I don't know much of this, but I think I want to be in this world in the future. Can, can I buy you lunch? Yeah, so it's just learning, using that cloud to get to it's know just, people. It's just simply To learn learning. and build relationships. Yes. Okay. And then build the it's network. Coming, it's think. coming to it from a, from a perspective of, like, I don't know what I have to offer, but at some point I might have something to offer that might be able to help you. And right now I just really want to learn from you because I'm starting this journey over again. When you, when you're a professional athlete or you're building a business or whatever you're doing and you start at the bottom and you climb the proverbial mountain, okay. And then you go back to do it all over again. You have to humble yourself and just say, I, there's going to be so many things that I don't know. And I think if you go in with that perspective, now look, you need to be creative. If you, if you reach out and say, Hey, can I pick your brain for 15 minutes? Most people are not going to respond to that. Yeah. I, I, I do think messages. there's a level of like yeah, sincerity and being specific, okay, you built XYZ company. One thing I really liked that you did was this. I'd love to grab lunch and be able to talk more about that specific thing. Could we do that? But people more often than not will say yes. So, but you probably want to be discreet about that though, right? Because I would imagine that, you know, you probably don't want to be advertising to, you know, general managers that, hey, I'm thinking about the next life, right? So you're probably wanting to are you saying you probably want to use social and all that to tell your story so people know who you are they're aware of you they're following you they like you they get what you're all about and then you're separately using that to kind of reach out to people discreetly and say hey a couple years from leaving the league thinking about what's coming next really impressed with what you've done at abc company or an ex wealth management or investment banking would love to grab coffee and and talk shop is that kind of is that is that the playbook I think if you look at the NBA right now, they're a great example of this. If you looked at what Steph Curry's doing, if you looked at Kevin Durant, if you looked at LeBron James, now these are outlier examples, but I'm going to make a point here. Do you think that the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers is worried that LeBron James is doing Space Jam and all these other things? Or do you think he's like, you know, that's just, that's what the athlete culture is now. That's what athletes are using their brand to vault themselves to whatever they're going to do next. I don't think the Golden State Warriors GM is going to say, you know, Steph, uh, we love you as a player, but like we can't be doing all the stuff off the field. Now, look, Jacob Turner was nowhere near LeBron James or Steph Curry. And the reality is I would never have any of the reach that those guys have. So in terms of like the scale at which I reach out to people on the scale, which I'm getting benefit, the scale, which I'm doing things outside of, of sports, I don't really think there's a need to even be discreet because the reality is like sports do come to an end. The GM knows that. That doesn't mean you're not focused on the field, which I think is this misconception. It's really hard in the locker room because sometimes you might want to talk about something else, but then the guy might say, well, is it, is his focus not here? And the reality yeah. is there's a lot of downtime in professional sports too. You know, well, that strikes me though, Kevin, as kind of the playbook that anybody could implement, right? Not just I, athletes, but, you know, and certainly you, you, you won't get the same amount of traction that, you know, Jacob Turner was reaching out to somebody. But, you know, I get people all the time saying, hey, I'm thinking about leaving Big Law. You, will you give me 15 minutes to chat about how to start a firm? And I'm sympathetic to that. I appreciate the story. And when I have time, I, I donate it. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say, because, I, yeah, I mean, certainly the professional athlete angle, I think, opens more, 
you know, some additional doors that maybe wouldn't be open to other people. But like, how many people do we know, Eric, like directly that have been like, I'm looking at this business or whatever. Do you know anyone? And we've reached out to like four clients and every single one of them is like, yeah, absolutely. Pass along my number. Like, I'd be happy to talk to them or I'm passing through St. Louis. Like, I'll grab coffee and talk to like, I, I think you're right, Jacob, that a lot of people are really excited and hungry, particularly in this next generation to kind of be helpful, to be social, to be out there, to kind of, you know, teach is the wrong word, but, you know, to be able to, to be seen as useful and helpful and, and help people. And I have to believe, especially with the market, you know, partially that you cater to in professional athletics, it's a hundred percent true. And I, I take your point with the GM. I mean, I was sitting here thinking like, I, again, I don't know much about professional sports and like the mentality of a GM, but I have, I have to think like they'd almost be like, Oh, that's awesome. Like Jacob's out there. Like we're passing through, you know, wherever Detroit. And he's like interested in meeting a couple of business leaders to like learn about their business. Like what a fantastic thing for the club. What a t- fantastic thing for Jacob's personal development. Like I, I almost have to t- have to think it, it almost be a net seen as a net positive rather than a net negative. Well, I'll give you a story from, from my time playing. I won't mention the guy's name, but I can remember I was in the clubhouse with a guy and I was thinking, why, why every time the GM and the assistant GM walk into this clubhouse, this guy's over there and he's shaking their hand and he remembers their kids' names and he, and he remembers like what they were doing last week. I didn't even understand the game that was happening right before my eyes. Okay. So fast forward two years, this guy's done playing and this guy has a job with that organization. Fast forward another year. Yeah. This guy's job is now all of a sudden at the big league level, which generally takes like uh, maybe a decade to get there. He got there in like 18 months. Interesting. And now yeah. I look back on it and I'm like, this guy was just playing a game at really a level. Smart. Most athletes. I love that. That might sound commonplace to people in business, but that's not a commonplace thing for athletes. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's get really specific with it though, guys, because Jacob, so now the roles are reversed and you've built this platform of your own. You've got a very successful business. I would imagine that not only athletes, but just a ton of people are probably in the DMS of Jacob Turner saying, Hey man, can I have 15 minutes to, to chat with you about what you've done? And, and you can't, you probably suffer from the same thing I do, which is you're a nice guy and you want to help everybody, but you can't, right? And so the ones that you respond to, and I'm liking a lot of assumptions here. I don't know that you're that nice of a guy, but I'm just, I'm kidding. But the ones that you actually respond to, what's the difference between that cold outreach that you'll actually network with and the cold outreach that you say, hey, I don't have time. I, in fact, I'm not even going to reply to this one. Yeah, it's a great question. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this just today. I think the quick answer is, do they have something that I can glean from in terms of who they are as a person, which is usually some level of personal branding? Look, I think that the three of us all believe in the ability that putting your message out there, putting your story out there, putting your expertise out there can have exponential benefit. It also has exponential benefit when you reach out to somebody. And this is not, I don't go to somebody's profile and say, oh, well, that person has a lot of followers, so I should respond to that. But like if they're posting stuff, and I can see kind of, okay, how they think or that they're, you know, they're putting their own thoughts into the world or that they're constantly iterating or they're taking somebody's idea and they're like twisting it and saying like, okay, here's my take on that. That's somebody that I know is trying to, to level up and get better. And they're not just looking for a handout because I think, you know, Eric and Kevin, I think we all agree that we want to help people that want to level up their game. 
you know, totally. they're, I'm at a level of this game that is still really low compared to some of the people that I've had the opportunity to talk to. And I am so grateful that some of these people that are way ahead of me in this game are allowing me to, to level up my game. And I, I don't know this, but I, I tend to think it's because they see that I'm really putting in the effort to try to do it. And I think it's the same way when somebody reaches out to you. If they're trying to, quote unquote, pick your brain in a creative way and they're putting out good into the world and you can see that, I'm personally much more apt to take that. Yeah, I think I, that's so true, right? And I don't think people realize how much building the personal brand cuts both ways, yeah. right? Not only when you become the guy, but also when you're actively reaching out to people and wanting to get Sahil Bloom to reply to a DM, you know, yeah. and how much he's having to pick and choose who he's willing to to reach out to. It's, you know, kind of a fascinating, fascinating building in public phenomenon here. What what do you do, Eric? Well, I'm, I'm curious because you're both, I have a decent following, but you're both like materially larger. So I, I'm sure you're blown up a lot more than I am. I'm like, what do you do? I struggle with it a lot, right? And I've tweeted about this recently about like, how do, what do I do? You know, and a lot of people, the answer is like, oh, well, pay, make people pay because, you know, then you'll find out who's serious and who's yeah. earnest. And, you know, I, I don't think that works in, in, in legal, right? We've got ethical concerns. And I also just don't like that as just kind of a, a nice guy. And frankly, a lot of people when we were starting the firm and starting up were just gratuitous, very helpful. I had no DMs go unresponded for the first year on Twitter. And so, but now, you know, I have a lot. I have a family. We've got the law firm. You know, there just isn't enough time in the day. So I'll try to go through really fast. And some of them are very spammy. You know, the spammy ones, unfortunately, just just they get disregarded. And that's they're probably accustomed to that as salespeople. But, yeah. you know, I'll get questions about SBA debt really quick. And I'm very good about throwing out like a quick one line like, hey, that's a better question for Matthias Smith or Heather Anderson or Bruce Marks or whatever, and trying to give them a little something. A lot of people get directed to our office hours if they've got, you know, general law, law firm, you know, buying a business questions. And then some of them just have to go unresponded to and that sucks. But what I see is, you know, if I see like, hey, your follow, you know, I click on your pro profile because I'll do that real quick. You know, is this worth, you know, especially if you've written me a long message, you know, some of these messages is like, guys, if you're doing cold outreach, keep your messages very concise because, I don't have I don't have time to read it all, let alone. And then I feel like, okay, now I've got to write an equivalent response. And so then I just don't do it at all. And I think a lot of people suffer from that psychologically. So keep yeah. it really concise. But also to Jacob's point, like if I click on your bio and it says that you're followed by Jacob Turner and Kevin Henderson and you know Sahil Bloom, I keep using his his name because he's obviously somebody that's very well known in the our space, but then you have instant credibility. So if yeah. you're, you know, it's going to take time to build relationships and build a snowball, but that will eventually help you almost like a video game kind of unlock new doors. As you unlock a door, you're that much closer to unlocking new ones. And so it's a very interesting social media driven networking world, but it's also, I think it's the most powerful networking force and business building force that exists. And, you know, I'm not yeah. the only person that's saying that, obviously that's, that's well talked about. The other thing I would add to that too, Eric, is I don't, I'd love to hear your guys' stance on this, but when we first started our business two and a half years ago, there was a lot of things I didn't know. I wasn't on Twitter. There wasn't this like ecosphere of people for me to learn from. And at some point you have to just take the leap and do it. And I think there's a, an element too, when you can tell when somebody's sending you a message like that, that person's never going to actually do anything there. Yeah. You know, yeah, they kind of want some advice, but they're not actually doing it versus the guy that says, Hey, you know, in my business, Jacob, I'm, I'm launching this RA. 
we're launching in two weeks. I have this XYZ specific question. Could we jump on the phone for five minutes and you could just share your experiences? I'm much more apt to do that than the guy that, you know, is telling me, can I pick your brain? I work at this big firm, but I, you know, there's no, there's no impetus for them to do anything different. Yeah. And find, find ways to, to show the person that you're reaching out to that you're serious, right? And Twitter's now doing the subscription thing and there's a lot of big accounts that have subscriptions. Like if you want to get the attention of, you know, Nick Huber, just go subscribe to his thing for 20 bucks a month. And I bet he is 99% more likely to reply to you all of a sudden and take you seriously if you're paying him 20 bucks a month. So, you know, find angles like that. I had somebody today be like, hey, I'll pay you for 15 minutes of your time. And then I go, well, you don't have to pay, but let's just chat. So, but just the offer was enough to kind of show that, that level of yeah. seriousness. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Exactly. I mean, I, I struggle with it obviously to a much lesser extent than you guys do, but it's, I mean, it's all the same thing. It's trying to, trying to tease out, like, is this person serious or am I spending 30 minutes with someone, you know, I'm thinking about searching, you know, I'm thinking about starting to maybe search to buy a business and I'd love to pick your brain is a whole lot different to your point, Jacob, than like, I've got a business, I met with the broker, I'm thinking about putting in an LOI next week, you know, have a couple of questions, would love to chat about whatever. I mean, those are just night and day different forms of outreach. But anyway, I, I think that's super helpful. I'm, I'm glad we went down that rabbit hole, but let's not run out of time to really talk about your business now, Jacob. So I, I want to transition there and talk about, cause you, you talked about, you, you looked at investment banking, you know, weren't sure what to do. How did you end up in private wealth? And for those that don't know, I don't know if we've already said it or not, your, your partners with one of your brothers, I don't know if your other sibling is involved or if it's just you and Luke, but walk us through the, the evolution that coalesced around launching your current private wealth management group and, and what you're doing now? Well, I've always loved personal finance. I was blessed to sign for a lot of money at a really young age and just frankly didn't want to blow it. So from the time I was probably 18 to 25, I asked a lot of questions of the people that I had on my team to try to understand the space better, understand what I should be doing. And then when I got done playing, I thought, man, it'd be really cool to educate people around personal finance, but I didn't know if I wanted to be a financial advisor because I'd I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of that term in general because I think there's a lot of people out there that are it's probably the broadest term in human history that you know financial advisor could mean a million different things. Right. So when I got done, it was like, okay, I can educate people around this. I started working at this multifamily office. I liked the work. I liked talking to people. I liked solving the problems, but the problems were also very broad because the group of people we were working with was very broad. So my brother and I, Luke. Our goal was when we started our firm was, okay, let's take everything that we like about this and then let's just narrow the focus down. So today we focus specifically on working with athletes and entrepreneurs. And there's a tie in there that look, they are inherently betting on themselves. An athlete is betting on themselves, an entrepreneur is betting on themselves. There's a lot of unknown in the world that they're living in. There's not a ton of consistency. For us, we can help take the day-to-day -day financial management off their plate and let them focus on what's the most important thing. And it's been fun to have that focus because it makes you get better. It makes you go deeper with right. that group of people. Well, and I love the way that you guys characterize it too, because a lot of the way you talk about the clientele that you serve is this kind of idea of sudden wealth, right? Whether it's 
the athlete who's signing a deal and kind of going from nothing college student, whatever, to a very large contract, or it's an entrepreneur that has a very big exit, you know, et cetera. Obviously we talk a lot more to entrepreneurs than we do professional athletes. I don't know that I have a, a lot to help new professional athletes, but for, for those entrepreneurs, how do you make this unsudden, right? What do you say to entrepreneurs to be better planners so that you're not all of a sudden scrambling with this idea of sudden wealth, right? I've worked hard for five years. I built a business. Now a private equity firm came calling. They want to buy my HVAC company for $8 million. Like I haven't even started to think about a will, let alone, you know, actual financial management. So what, what do you tell the entrepreneurs who are maybe at the beginning of their journey, they just bought a business, they're up to their gills and SBA debt. They're kind of scraping by hundred thousand dollars of extra profit to support their families. But you want them to be thinking, Hey, five years down the road, like you should be thinking about this idea of sudden wealth. Well, business ownership, people talk about the term a lot that you work in the business and you work on the business. And I think more entrepreneurs should also think about working on themselves and their own personal life because we are so, and myself included, I fall into this. I think so I'm laser focused on building this business, building this business, building this business. Right. But why, why am I building the business? What, what is this business going to give me in five or 10 years that maybe I don't have now that I really want in my own personal life? And maybe money is a part of that. Maybe freedom of my time is a part of that. Maybe being able to say I had a successful exit is part of that. It can be a million different things. But I think we get so bogged down in what we're doing day to day in the business that oftentimes we forget what we're trying to build towards anyways. So an example that I would use is I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs that have gone, let's call it five to 10 years. They really hit the J curve in their business. They're making a lot of money. And then something happens in the business where it's not going near as well as it was. You know, I remember talking to a guy when we first started, he owned a asphalt company. And I said, oh, how long did it take you to get traction? And he's like, oh, let me tell you this story. We were 10 years in and we were crushing it. And he's like, and then year 11, I almost went bankrupt. And that's the reality is there's this huge unknown in business, right? Like, yeah, we're all inherently betting on ourselves. We think it's going to work. It may work. It also may not work all the time. I'd say that story because I think there's a lot of, there can be a lot of benefit for an entrepreneur to be planning for his own personal financial life while he's building the business. So then when he gets to year five, he gets to year 10, he gets to year 15, whatever it is, they have increased optionality. If you want to keep investing back in the business and continue growing it, great. If you want to you know, move out of the business in a certain capacity, great. If you want to sell the business and, and completely exit, great. Because you've done all the things over here and you've kind of been building them simultaneously. Right. Yeah. I, 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 lo I love that concept. I, I think goal setting and, you know, personally and professionally is, is, is really smart. I like that extra wrinkle to the in and out totally. or in and on talking point there. Well, Eric, well I, think it, you made, it, I think you made this point. Go ahead, Jacob. Go ahead, Jacob. I was saying, Eric, I think you, I think you made this point on Twitter. Um, so if you didn't, I'm just going to give you credit for it. But you said something about having a rainy day fund, and I thought it was, it, I thought it was just a, a good concept for entrepreneurs and for anybody that's that's in a high level business to think about. We, if you are a key employee, if you own a business, if you're an entrepreneur, you have some level of self belief. Now that self belief has right. gotten you to the position that you're in. But that self-belief can also be limiting in the fact that we always think that it's going to work. 
And the reality is it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. And there's things that happen in life that can be completely outside of your control that can completely derail the train. So just understand that there has to be some level for us as the planners to be a little pessimistic. We want to be the biggest cheerleader ever and be as optimistic as we can. But from a planning standpoint, sometimes it's okay to be a little pessimistic in terms of how you plan. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I, I think what you're referring to is a post from this past weekend. I use a three-part mental framework and it really helps me have peace of mind, not only personally, but professionally. And the first is if something happens and I don't know what happened, you know, a tree falls in the forest and I'm not there to see it or hear it. Did it really fall? Like, you know, I'm constantly brought like family and friends and professionally, I'm brought this stuff where it's like, oh, well, such and such is going on with so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And I always think if I don't know it exists and it doesn't pertain to me, then it's not a problem that I need to think about or deal with. Done. The second thing is you can't control the rain, but you can control the size of your umbrella. So when the, the negative things in life, you know, that, that is a personal, you know, a classic personal finance concept. But when the negative things in yep. life are brought to you, you know, you cannot control that. You cannot control the weather. And when there's a thunderstorm that rolls through central Florida, people don't go outside and yell at it and get all upset and get worked up about the thunderstorm. They either put up an umbrella or they go inside. And it's the same thing in life. You either put up your umbrella and you control the, whether or not you have your umbrella when problems happen, but you don't yell at the thunderstorm. And then the last one is if the thing does affect me negatively and I get caught in the rain with no umbrella, I say, I'm going to be dead in 30 or 40 years anyway. So it's not that big a deal. Everything will be fine. Give it a couple of weeks. And I think those three things really kind of help me personally through, but it, it does tie back into to finances, right? All of those things are finance, you know, concepts, having your, your rainy day fund is critically important, but also when you do experience that bankruptcy, and we've seen some of that in our industry and we're going to see more of it in real estate, venture capital, crypto, you know, a lot of asset classes are really struggling and it will eventually come to main street as well. But the good people will experience hard times, but hard times don't last. Good people do, or tough times don't last. Tough people do whatever the expression is is so true. And so I think as we start to see more small business bankruptcies and financial struggles, I think people need to remember those frameworks of like, give me five years, whatever the expression is of the wealthiest people in the world, take all their money away. And in five years, they're all going to have it back. That is very true. And so as we kind of go through this downturn of, of sorts, people need to, to remember that. But Jacob, let's transition, if it's okay, to talk about moment capital because i want to hear our moment wealth partners i want to hear about the business and you know how you guys decided to build what you've built and you know what the horizon looks like for you guys because i think you, the tra trajectory has got to be massive yeah it's been fun building it i mean when we first started building in that niche of entrepreneurs and professional athletes it was interesting because we were going after a demographic that a lot of traditional financial advisors don't always go after, you know, the majority of quote unquote financial advisors out there work with retirees. And I would say the majority of our clients have no desire to ever traditionally retire. It's a lot of different conversations than what you would traditionally have, which has also been really enjoyable. And I think the best thing that we ever did, and I think this is true for any business is finding, there's always going to be things in your business that you maybe don't want to do on a day-to-day -day basis, but finding things in your business that you can have conversations around daily that really give you energy. And for us, the group of people that we get to work with, one, it gives me energy. And two, it also just helps me level up my game because I hear what they're doing. And I think, man, like if that guy can think that big, 
why can't I? Or if he can do it that way, how could I tweak that and make that something that would work in my business? So it's been a ton of fun. And, you know, Eric, to your point, I think it's just the beginning of it. I fortunately, board willing, have a long runway of continuing to work and build this business in front of me and, and really excited for where things are going to go. Who's the more ambitious and excited and energy providing group of people, the entrepreneurs or the athletes? Oh man, it's, they're just so different in such different ways. Every entrepreneur thinks their business is great. And then when you ask them the second level deep, you're like, it's kind of a mess right now, but we're making it work. And then every athlete's like, they think their career's going great. And then when you ask another question, you're like, well, what am I going to be doing in five years? Yeah. So it, in a sense, they both have energy because they're both coming to you from like this, they're having some level of success, but then there's also this level of doubt around what it's going to, what is this going to look like in the future? And how does my money tie in and how do I sleep at night knowing that like all everything could change tomorrow? Living on the edge of chaos. I've always thought about it as living on the edge of chaos. And there's some of us who know the meaning of that, depending on the way you were raised or the experiences in your life. And then I see other people. I experienced this a lot when I was in law school at, at a really good law school. And, you know, one that's got a lot of old money and a lot of people who've have parents that were ultra successful that I don't think they've seen a day of adversity in their entire lives. And you could see that look in their eye, like they they felt 100% certain that everything was going to go perfectly, you know, great forever and ever. And then there was the rest of us that were like, guys, like, shit could happen, you know, like, you still have to try, like, you still have to get good grades, like, you still have to. So, yeah, totally. I get that. Well, for you guys, as you guys, I think of, and I could be wrong on this, but I think of traditional law as being kind of conservative in the types of people that it brings it. They want a steady yeah. job. They want to know that if I work this many hours, I'm going to get paid this much money. And then in 10 years, if I do it for a really long time, I'm going to make partner. So I'm curious from your guys' perspective, what were things in your life from an inflection standpoint that made you start to shift your mindset and start to think more entrepreneurial and less, I really want the safety net. Well, you know, and Kevin, I'll let you, you know, feel free to, if you got a better answer, but we are risk averse and definitely e even being a, like, I am a peer play entrepreneur. I now, I now know this. I did not know this about myself two years ago. I now go, okay, if I'm not going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to be miserable. But even still, when we go, went to start this firm or we're thinking about starting this firm, it took a lot for me to convince Kevin to, to come off the sidelines and do this. And the final thing that actually I think convinced him was that there were clients there that were ready to pay us money, right? Like that was finally the dam had broke, Kevin, if I remember correctly. And we were both like, okay, mm -hmm. like, you know, we're, we're going to be okay come. doing this. Yeah. We think, I mean, now there's always still a possibility when you have it pre and post. You're right, Jacob. And Kevin, if feel free to answer that as well, if that doesn't reflect your experience. No, I mean, I, I think that's right. You talk about inflection points and, you know, and, th and there's a lot, and a lot of this is like post hoc, right? Like looking back, you're like, okay, I, I see how I was transitioning my mentality or things like that. But you triggered that memory when you mentioned like you were looking at, uh, or I guess volunteering at the time at this multifamily office and realized like you're not cut out to be an employer or whatever, like you know, separately, one of the main reasons I jumped off big law track gets back to the heart of where we started our conversation with like why we pursue entrepreneurship and things like that. I'm getting right up to that senior associate level 
where it was like, I, I had a two year runway to go into the partnership nomination process that takes another year can take two, right. Leading up to that, you got to kill yourself 2,500 to 3000 hours a, a year, right? That's a, that's the equivalent of one and a half to two full-time jobs full-time for, you know, two, three, four years. If you get the tap for nomination to partnership, then you go into building your book of business mode, right? You've got another three to five years to start building your book before you're starting a mature practice. And I'm sitting there at the firm I was at at the time at Winston, like looking at the timeline thinking, my oldest is in seventh grade. By the time I'm just barely starting to mature as a partner, my youngest child's in college, right? And this is a downtown commute, right? This is late nights. This is summer associate events during the summer on the weekends, right? Like things where, where you start to realize like, man, my priorities need to be a lot different. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to end up working so hard to be able to provide for a family that by the time I finally see the success that I need, like my family's got, right? I mean, my wife will still be there. <laughs> you hope, right? And so for me, that was it. Like I, I realized like almost just sitting in my office one day, like, this is, I'm in the wrong place. And, you know, wow. I, I transitioned. I, I thought I, I took an interim step. I went in-house, thought that that was the answer. Quickly, like you realized, I'm not a W-2 corporate employee. I hated that environment. But it's it's those inflection points that you you watch for and look for that starts to transition that mentality. Because like Eric, prior to 18 months ago, if you told me I was an entrepreneur, I'd be like, dude, no, I'm not an entrepreneur. That's way too risky. I like knowing the exact dollar figure that's depositing in my account each day. And it's tough, but you got to be open to those moments and recognize what they are as these inflection points and, and be willing to kind of take a bet on yourself. And that's hard to do. I think in large part, I only did it because of a, a partnership because I had, I had three years of opportunity to go out on my own solo. Um, and it wasn't until Eric and I started talking when it was like, okay, now that we can collaborate, do this together, have some safety net and like have each other's backs. I think that was the, the kind of ultimate straw for me. Well, I think this is fascinating because we had completely opposite experiences, Jacob, right? Because Kevin and I, we had, you know, no reason to do it, right? We did, we weren't being pushed out of anything. Whereas you, you're like, I'm at the end of my career. I got to go do something. What's it going to be? Yeah. Right. So very different, you know, you're, you were headed off a cliff. We were, you know, not, but I think that, you know, the key, if you're listening to this and you're going, okay, I'm in Eric and Kevin's boat and I am, I've got a good job. I've got, you know, a family counting on me. I've got good benefits. I want to do it. I feel like I'm an entrepreneur. Maybe I've never had that experience, but I'm scared. How do I do it? The key for us was that we got started, right? Like even if it was in an indirect way, like I started talk talking on social media about business buying and about Twit, uh, about M&A, you know, while I was still at my day job and allowed that to accrue goodwill, personal brand, snowball a little bit. Kevin started working his side practice on the side. So Kevin was actually doing the work. So between the two of us, we had a really nice setup of, I can't do the work on the side because I'm not allowed to, but I've been talking about, I've got some connections and a network in the space. Kevin has the technical skills. He's done it. So we put it together and there are plenty of you out there that do have the ability to go out and moonlight. You can start working on the side. You can be talking about it in, in social media. So yep. you don't have to jump off the cliff that Jacob had to jump off of it. And, 
to get started in entrepreneurship. So I think that's kind of an interesting dichotomy here. No, I agree. I think there's a misnomer. You don't have to go that to be an entrepreneur, you kind of got to quit and jump off the cliff into entrepreneurship and quit everything else you're doing. It's just, you know, it can be hard, but it's just not true. I I think there's, I think the interesting thing too, I know for me being still new at this game of business and entrepreneurship two and a half years in, it's fascinating to me to see how much I feel like I've learned in two and a half years versus when I first started. And I, I actually had this thought today. I was like, if I knew everything that I know now, just two and a half years in, would I have been so, like, I'm ready to do this two and a half years ago. I don't know if I would have been, honestly, because I've just seen so many things where I'm like, that's definitely going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. Or that's definitely going to go this way, and it goes that way. And I think there's a, for most people, the first thing that they should do is just kind of dip their toe in the water. And that could be a million different things. That could be reaching out to somebody that could be posting online, that could be trying to make money doing anything other than your normal job and seeing if you can figure out a way to do that. But you don't, there's this, look, it makes for a great YouTube video. It makes for a great Instagram reel. It makes for a great Twitter post when somebody talks about how they went all in and they yeah. put all their money into something and they hundred X it. Now they're worth a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, if they did that or not, but the reality is that's not always the case. And for most people, that's not the case. It certainly wasn't the case for me. Like, yes, I jumped off the cliff, but like I could always go back to what I was doing before. And I always go back to this concept that what's the worst thing that happens? The worst thing that happens is you go back to doing what you were doing before and you have more experience. Yeah, we got that same advice from Mike German when we started our firm. He was like, guys, if it doesn't work out, like there's just no downside. And, and I had the exact same thought today, Jacob, a few hours ago, I was leaving the girl, the, I got grabbed some groceries for lunch actually. And I was leaving and I was thinking actively about how much we've learned about entrepreneurship in 12 months and how many mistakes we've actually made, you know, how yep. many two steps forward, one step back. And I think I, I honestly, I think Kevin and I, and our firm has been as successful as you could conceivably hope to be when when starting a business, we've been making money since day one and growing, you know, very significantly. And yet I still look at it and go, we are baby entrepreneurs and we have made a lot of mistakes. So it is very interesting to be somebody who has a high level skill set in one particular discipline and then take that to a whole new area and then quickly realize after a period of time that like you actually don't know what you're doing. But that's what makes it fun. I, it, it, well, I, I think about it in the middle of the night. I'm giddy about it. It's, it, it's a great it's a great example that if you have skills that the market needs, it's not that hard to make money. It becomes very hard to scale and make that sort of life-changing wealth, right? Yeah. It would have been super easy for Eric and I to hang a shingle and the two of us take some deals and we provide a comfortable living for our families. It's a whole different thing as you start to actually try and grow an enterprise and do what entrepreneurs are prone to do and you know, maybe can't even avoid trying to do, and that's improve and iterate and grow and make more efficient and expand. And that's, that's where we're just constantly reminded daily, man, it's hard. I mean, there's a lot, we don't know. It's going to be a lifetime of learning. And every time you break through a barrier, there's more things and different things to learn to break through the next barrier. So it's, you, you never really arrives. Um, which is both daunting and, we, and exciting. We've, we've at the same got time. great, 
We've got great partners, right? Like Kevin is, I couldn't ask for a better partner, a more complimentary partner. We've got others on our team too that are just spectacular. You've got your brothers, Jacob. Talk about what it's like. Or what, well, actually, sorry, brother, singular with Luke. Talk about working with your brother and what that's like. Because you guys are pretty damn competitive with each other too. Out on the golf, it was healthy. You know, you guys are a family yeah. that loves each other. But what's that like? For me, selfishly, it's great because I'm typically a pretty direct person. So it's great to know that the person receiving generally my feedback on the other end knows, has known me since the day they were born. So they know how I'm like, and they know that I mean really well when I give that very direct feedback. Yeah. But it's great, man. Look, people think about owning a business or doing anything significant in their life. They always see what the direct benefit is. But I think what people miss a lot of times is what is the indirect benefit? And for Luke and I, like a couple of indirect benefits just right off the top of my head are if I think about where we were at and I said, if we would have stayed there for the next two and a half years and we would have been, you know, September 18th of 2023, where would I be at from a skill standpoint versus where I'm at today? It wouldn't even be a comparison. That person wouldn't be comparable to the skills I have today. And that's not to say that my skills are some elite level today. It's just because the growth that you have. And I think the other area of it is we've been able to do this together. I've talked to a lot of people that have picked amazing business partners, but one thing that I always come back to, and this is a personal thing. This is not, I did not read this in a business book and I did not give this advice to anybody else, but I do tell everybody, this is what, how I feel. I want to do life with people that I love, people that I love to be around. And like my brother is like one of my, he's like my ride or die. There's like three of those people in my entire life, my two brothers, and my wife are basically like my ride or die. No matter what, those are the people that are on the bus, no matter what happens. And it's just cool to be able to do life and do life with people you love and, and see them succeed and you succeed and you learn and you grow and you fail and you succeed. And It's just two and a half years in, I'm excited to see what that looks like in five or 10 years. He, they're yeah. good golfers too. Like Luke is lights out golfer, man. It's unbelievable. Luke is, Luke is a good golfer. Unfortunately, Luke is a better golfer than I am. And there's not many things that I will... Just openly concede that he is better than me at, but he is better than me at golf. You know what, though? He was giving you pointers when we were out there, which I thought was pretty cool because, you know, normally, like, among my brothers, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell him nothing. I wouldn't. I'd say figure it out on your own. So yeah. I thought that was I thought that was great. You know, feel free to plug whatever it is that you're working on, obviously, Moment Capital and whatever else you got going on. Yeah. I mean, like we said, guys, you can find me on, on social media. I actually just changed my Twitter handle to make it more closer to my name. So it's the Jacob Turner and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm going to be posting on YouTube as well. So find me on there. Our website is momentprivatewealth.com. If you guys need help or have questions around personal finance, that's where you can find us. Love it. Thanks a lot for joining right. us, Jacob. Uh, yeah. Great to chat. Perfect. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mundane Millionaires. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you next time.